Well, good morning, everyone. It is indeed an honor to be back here at Wellspring. So I was very blessed to be here. Man, I think it's almost 10 years ago now. I was here when I served as superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, it's an honor to be back. Uh, you know, I'm originally from Minnesota, and so I pastored uh, a covenant church that my wife, Denisha, and I planted in Minneapolis. And it was in 2009 that I received a call while it was 15 degrees in Minneapolis in December. I received a call uh, if I would be interested in submitting my name to be superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference. And I was thinking, what does that mean? And so the person I was talking to said, well, if you become superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference, you will oversee churches in California, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, and Hawaii. And I said, did you say Hawaii? I forgot about Utah in that conversation. And so I was blessed to serve a term as superintendent, and so it is great to be back. I'm, I'm actually here celebrating my wife's birthday. That's why we're here in Hawaii celebrating her birthday. And um, so glad that Danisha is with me. And then I also have family here in Honolulu. So my son-in-law's brother, Ryan, is here. He lives here. So Ryan, just wave your hand. So I guess that means that's my nephew-in-law, Ryan. And he and his, his, his uh, uh, wife, Gabby, live here, and so it's good to see him as well. She had to work right now, so she couldn't be here. But So it's great to be with family in so many ways. want to thank your pastor. You have an awesome pastor and Pastor Rebecca, so thank you for inviting me. As we lean into, oh, yeah, yeah, clap for her, <laughs> definitely. So I didn't know she had so many gifts, like she's a musician and a theologian and a pastor. And I mean, I don't, the other three things I don't, I don't, she does. So uh, in terms of like this leaning into uh, this season of celebrating the birth of Christ, this is, this is um, a blessing. Whether you're here on site or you're watching online, I mean, last year we weren't able to get together like this and to lean into the season of, of the birth of Jesus. And so we may come with so many things swirling in our souls as we prepare uh, to, 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 to once again honor the birth of a Savior, of the Messiah, of a King of Kings, of, a, of one who oversees a never-ending kingdom. And so what does it mean for us as Christians to rise to the occasion, even with all that is going on in our world? And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, I'm going to go to an interesting place. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 3, uh, because there's something here that points us to how we rise in this moment. And it even points us forward to Christ, who gives us the power to rise. So Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, Rise of the Liberated Christian. Rise of the Liberated Christian. Christian. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking, and I would just be the vessel that you have decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. It is not breaking news to say we have been through a lot in the last 15 months or so, and all the things that we have experienced from a pandemic to political unrest, to racial unrest, to protests, to uh, the, the sense of loss and, and being disconnected uh, could cause us to be buried, could cause us to be buried in such uh, a number of emotions and thoughts. Uh, but yet this is a moment where the people of God, this is a moment where the followers of Jesus must rise to the occasion, to rise as God's vessels of love and peace and grace and truth and biblical justice in such a time as this, because we are living in an upside down world. We are living in a broken world, but yet you and I have the opportunity to be God's bridges of reconciliation and compassion and connectedness in what has become a disconnected world. There is one, the creator of the universe, who is inviting you and I, inviting you and I to be loving, reconciling disciple makers in such a time as this, if we would only say yes. This was the challenge that Moses had. God is trying to speak to Moses in a very unique way. In the midst of a bush, uh, God is speaking to Moses. Moses is at his job. He's, he's, he's at his job, and yet God is speaking and calling him to something beyond probably what he would ever imagine. Uh, the issue is, are, are you seeing, are you sensing, are you feeling the burning bush that is in front of your life? 
that's in front of your single life, that's in front of your marriage, that's in front of how you're raising your kids, that's in front of the career that you thought was the primary identification of your vocation. Can you see, can you sense that God is burning and calling in front of you? He speaks to Moses through a fire. You know, a fire can represent something that destroys and spreads. Living in California, Danisha and I know a lot about the dangers and the spreading of fires. Uh, California has experienced a season of droughts. It's experienced a season of fires all throughout Northern California, the central part of California, Southern, I mean, the entire state has been on watch uh, for fires spreading. So in one sense, a fire marks a destruction. It, it spreads and, and it concerns and, and, it, and it in some cases brings death. But yet there's another fire, a fire that burns and empowers, a fire that rejuvenates, the fire that causes us to rise again, a fire that never burns out. And maybe instead of this fire being in a bush like it was for Moses, this is a fire that God wants to burn in each of our hearts. God wants there to be a fire in each of us that would cause us to rise regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Whether it is a day of joy or a day of struggle, whether we are carrying anxiety, there is a fire of God's love and God's grace and God's empowerment that God desires that it would never be extinguished on the inside of our hearts. And this is what should separate Christians from anybody else. That in spite of, we still find our rejoicing. In spite of, we still find hope. In spite of, we still find joy. In spite of, we still find a reason to rise. Why? Because the burning bush of God on the inside of our hearts never goes out. So God is burning through a bush to Moses, calling him to rise. Why? Because there is a group, his people, the Hebrews who are oppressed. This shows us one of the dimensions of sin. This is the reason why we must rise as liberated Christians, because of sin. Uh, sin has at least three dimensions. There's sin in the soul. There's also sin in society. And there's sin in Satan. The problem is, is that in the body of Christ, there are segments of Christians that for some reason don't buy into this holistic understanding of the multiple dimensions of sin. Some people just see sin in the soul and they take a very individualistic approach to sin. And so they just say, you know, if everybody would just give their heart to Jesus, that would solve the sin issue. And you know, there's partly some truth to that. Yes, we should individually accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We must confess with our own mouths. We must believe in our own hearts that Jesus came into the world born as Savior and Messiah. That's one dimension, but there's also sin in society 
Because what happens is sinful individuals collectively come together and build structures and institutions and systems and ideologies that are sinful. And that's what could cause a system of slavery like we see in the book of Exodus. But here's the good news. Not only is Jesus born Savior and Messiah into the world that we might accept Jesus into our souls, that we might be transformed, but one day Jesus will return and all things will be new forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, a new society. And so the birth of Jesus not only is an opportunity to deal with sin in the soul, but it deals with sin in society too. One day there will be a society that will last forever where there will be no violence, no disease, no poverty, no racism, no sexism, no depression, no brokenness. We will have a new heaven and a new earth. But there's also sin in Satan. That there are spirits, as Ephesians 6 says, our battle's not against flesh and blood ultimately, but against powers and principalities and high places. There's, there's also sin in Satan. But yet Jesus, the birth of Jesus deals with that too, because eventually the serpent, the evil one, the beast will be defeated and destroyed. So who are we to be in the meantime until Jesus returns and deals with all of the spheres, the dimensions of sin, you and I are to rise and be a preview, a picture of this new community, a picture of a community of love and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and biblical justice. We must rise. So what does that look like? We can learn something from Moses. Because when, I don't know if you do this. Well, you guys are great Christians, so you wouldn't do this. But Moses, when God is burning in the bush in front of Moses and says, I I have a call on your life. I want you to rise. I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let the people you've enslaved go. Moses doesn't say yes right away. He actually decides to debate God. Some people, when God burns in their hearts, when God calls them to be a liberated Christian, they start having a debate with God. And so Moses in chapter four of Exodus comes up with these excuses of why he is not the person to rise as as this liberator of God. And, And so this is where I wanna give you just three brief points and get out of your way. Like what does it take to rise as a liberated Christian? What can we learn from the debate between Moses and and God? So here's the first thing Moses does in chapter four. Uh, You you should read this in in detail on your own, but this is the first thing he does. Uh, He's he's debating, saying to God that he's not the one. So um, God says, see that staff in your hand? Throw it on the ground. And when he throws it on the ground, this staff represents his current job. He's a shepherd. He says, throw the staff on the ground. And he does, and it becomes a snake. And and, and the Bible says he runs from it, which I don't blame him. But God says, pick up the snake. That, that, That probably is where I would have failed the test right there. Pick up the snake. But somehow Moses finds the courage to pick the snake up, and he does. And he becomes a staff again. Here's point one. If you're going to rise as a liberated Christian, 
We need to allow God to liberate our story. Allow God to liberate your story. What do I mean by this? So what is this serpent, this snake, when he throws the staff on the ground and it becomes a snake, what does that represent? Well, the first time we see a serpent in the Bible is the tempter, the confuser, the liar that shows up in a form of a serpent that is the tempter that brings sin, brokenness into the world. So maybe what the serpent represents is the accuser in all of our lives. There's something biting at, at our heels. There's something at, at the at the base of our life, at the bottom of our life, trying to tell us that we're not qualified, that we're, we're not good enough. So there, there, there's something trying to shame us and guilt us out of what is burning in our hearts, the call that is on our lives. And so we need to give that story because Moses, he, he, he did have a story. He grew up not knowing his biological parents. He was raised in the palace of Egypt while watching people that looked like him of his own culture, his own uh, ethnicity, his own people group being oppressed and enslaved. Uh, out of the confusion of that, he murdered someone. He's, he's currently on the run. He's a fugitive. So he, he has some family origin issues. He has some ethnic identity, cultural issues. He, he, he's done wrong. He has sinned. He's on the run, but yet God is still speaking and calling him. So Moses has to decide if he's going to rise as a liberated leader, he's going to have to allow God first to liberate his story. What is it in your story that's trying to convince you that it's not your time, that you're unqualified, that you can't do it? Oh, I'm so glad that Pastor Rebecca decided at some point in her life not to listen to any of the stories, any of the messages that might have told her she couldn't preach, she couldn't lead, she couldn't pastor, and she rose anyway because she had to surrender her story to God would you allow God to liberate your story would you allow God's grace to shower you in such a way that your past doesn't keep you from your present and your future the purpose that God has for you if you're going to rise as a liberated Christian allow God to liberate your story you would have thought that that would have convinced Moses but no so God in, in Exodus 4, tells Moses, he says, take your hand and put it under your shirt. And when he pulls it out, his hand is diseased. The Bible says his hand is leprous. And then God says, take your hand and put it under your shirt again. And when he does and he pulls it out, his hand is fine. It's healed. What is this? This is point two. Allow God to liberate your soul. Allow God to liberate your soul. What do I mean by this? So what is this about that God said, Moses, put your hand under your shirt. And he did. And when he pulled it out, his hand was diseased. Could it be that what this represented is the reason his hand was diseased is because God is showing Moses, if your outside looked exactly like how you are on the inside, this is what your outside would look like. 
because Moses had issues in his soul. Well, I mean, again, let's go back. I mean, I already established in his story, he killed somebody. He's on the run. He, he's got family origin issues. He didn't know his mom. He didn't know his biological father. He had a lot of issues growing up. And those things can bring trauma to your soul. I mean, anyone who has no trauma at all, it, no issues at all in their soul over the last 15 months. I want to meet them and say, man, how did you do it? <laughs> Sister, you just the most sanctified daughter of God ever on the planet. How did you do it? How did you go the last 15 months and there be no anxiety, no fear, no doubt, no hurt, no pain? I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. When I saw the video of George Floyd dying in Minneapolis. He died on the block I grew up on, the block where I learned to ride my bike, the block where I played basketball in my friend's driveway, the block where I raked leaves and shoveled snow to make money so I could go to the same store that George Floyd came out of and I could buy a Hostess apple pie or Icy or a Twix bar. So that did something to my soul. Over the last few months, I, I, I'm very fortunate to pastor a very multiracial church. Our, our church breakdown is something like 35% uh, white Anglo, 30% black African-American, 20% Hispanic, 10% Asian. Uh, the rest just, they just wrote other on their thing or they were like, I'm Haitian Cuban. Or, you know, but... So we're a very diverse church. When all of the racial unrest went down in 2020, I mean, the chief of police goes to our church. Uh, folks that would consider themselves Black Lives Matter activists go to our church. We had to make a decision. Would we become a divided, broken church? Or would we become a reconciling church? A healing church? A church that would listen to one another and love one another and forgive one another and extend one another grace. But all of that work, man, it does something to your soul. It's, it's God work and it's hard work at the same time. And so uh, Moses had to decide, would, would he allow his inside to be tended to? Because we all have to wrestle with the question. If our outside right now looked exactly like what we're feeling on the inside, what would our outside look like? And that's not a shaming question. It's a surrendering question. That we can be liberated in our soul by surrendering our soul, our emotions, our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our pride, our arrogance, giving it to God. So would we allow God to liberate our story? Would we allow God to liberate our, our soul? And finally, would we allow God to liberate our voice? Moses in chapter 4 of Exodus, he has one more excuse. He says, I don't speak very well. I've never been eloquent. And God says to Moses, I will be your voice. I will speak through you. And what God does is, 
on some occasions, he actually speaks directly through Moses. And on other occasions, he blesses him with a companion, Aaron, to speak for him, to speak with him, that he knows that he's not alone, that God will speak through Moses, but God will also surround Moses with other voices that God has empowered. Would you allow God to liberate your voice? Oh, we're not saying everybody has to be a preacher. Everybody has to give a TED talk. Everybody has to create a TikTok video. But maybe there's words that God has for you to speak just to one, to three. Maybe there's a word that God has for you to speak to your classmates in school. Words that God wants to speak through you on your job to someone words for a family member, words for a neighbor that will bring healing to them in times like this. In order to be God's vehicle of liberation, we need to allow God to liberate our story, to liberate our soul, to liberate our voice. I'm concerned that there's segments of the body of Christ right now that what we're saying is not healing What we're saying is not reconciling. It it doesn't seem to be soaked in God's grace and love that there are times when there are segments of the body of Christ participating in voices of dehumanizing and demeaning and demonizing, dividing. Yet there's an opportunity for the voice of the church to be a mending voice, to be a freeing voice. Sisters and brothers, as I skip past the book of Exodus now into the gospel, there is an opportunity for you and I to align our lives like never before with the one whose birth we celebrate in this season, Jesus, because he's the ultimate liberator. Jesus is the one that sets us free. Jesus is the one that transforms our lives. Jesus is the one who is born uh, Messiah, born Savior. His, His name means salvation. Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, the Christ. Unto us, a Savior is born. And this Savior, when he becomes an adult, when he launches his public ministry in Luke chapter 4, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, this is where he finds in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, but also points to his own public ministry. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom, liberation for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sisters and brothers, what an opportunity for us to rise, to rise right where you are. There's someone you know, someone you work with, someone you go to school with, someone in your family, someone in your neighborhood that they just need the warmth, the understanding, the empowerment of your liberation. Walk in the freedom that you have received in Jesus. And if you have not said yes 
to this freedom, I pray that you would say yes to it today. That you would say yes in my house, in my heart. I desire the warmth, the empowerment, the freedom, the transformation that comes from Jesus that we might rise. Let me close with this story. I've been fortunate with Denisha to um, have some cool getaways every once in a while. Like Hawaii. Um, we've been to the motherland of our denomination, Sweden. So like, you know, like the birthplace of the Evangelical Covenant Church. We, we have been there. I've also been to what you would consider my cultural, ethnic motherland. I've been on the continent of Africa. And uh, on one of my trips to Africa, I went to the country of Kenya. And uh, while I was there, I had a chance to go on a safari. And so when I went on this safari, I, I, there, there were all kinds of animals I was, I was just looking forward to see. Like I wanted to see lions. I wanted to see zebras. I, I, I wanted to see hippopotamuses, giraffes. Like I was just so excited. And, and so the safari guide, while we were seeing all these animals, he pointed out the impala. And I was thinking, that wasn't on my list, the impala. I thought the impala was a car. I didn't even know. It's, a, it's an animal. But the safari guide, he was so excited about the impala. So he stopped and had us look at the impalas, and he started telling us about these impalas. He said, the impala, when he's just standing still, he has the God-given ability to jump 13 feet high in the air. So if a lion comes to try to attack the impala, the impala can jump 13 feet high in the air. When the impala is running, not only can it go 13 feet high, it can jump 30 feet out. It's its God-given ability. Wow. So when we returned back to the United States, soon after that, Denise and I and our daughters, Jada and Maria, we went to the San Francisco Zoo. And I had a chance to see the impalas there. But this was a whole different impala. Like, even though there was a higher fencing, the impala was initially contained by a three-foot wall. And I was thinking, what are they doing? Like, I, I went... And I tried to talk to the Impalas. I was like, look, I was just with your cousins in Africa. Y'all can jump 13 feet high and 30 feet out. You don't have to put up with this. Impala lives matter. But they wouldn't listen to me. They, and so I went to a woman that was on staff at the zoo, and I was asking her about the Impala. And she said, well, this is what we found. She said, when the Impalas are babies... We build this three-foot wall, and even though they have the ability as babies to jump over it, they won't because we found out that the impalas won't jump if they can't see where they're going to land. So they have to look out first, get a feel for where they're going to land, and then they jump. She said, so when they're babies, we build this three-foot wall. They can't see over it. And she said, they have the ability as babies to jump over it, but they won't. She said, this might not make sense to you, but they don't have the faith to get over the wall. 
because they have to see it first. They won't jump if they can't see what they're jumping into. She says, and when they get bigger, they're so conditioned in their mind that they still won't jump over the wall. And that's why we never have to worry about an impala escaping the zoo. And it made me think about who we are in this season. Is there a three-foot wall that's keeping you from rising? Rising as the Christian that God has called you to be. Maybe the three-foot wall is fear. Maybe the three-foot wall is doubt. Maybe the three-foot wall is pride. Maybe the three-foot wall is past hurts. Maybe the three-foot wall are things that were spoken into your life as a little girl, as a little boy. Maybe it's what's gone on the, the last 15 months. It's built like a series of three-foot walls in your life. I would understand that one. But yet, here's the good news. There's no three-foot wall that you don't have the ability to jump over. God has given you the ability to rise, to jump. So I'm saying jump. Jump over fear. Jump over doubt. Jump over pride. Jump over arrogance. Jump over anxiety. You have the ability. Now, you may need some other things. You may need some counseling. You may need some therapy. You, you may need some new community. You may need some accountability. But that's all going to supplement the power that is already in you from God to jump. Maybe it's your marriage that needs to jump. Your single life that needs to jump. Your parenting that needs to jump. Would you allow something to jump in you? You know, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, when Elizabeth went to see her cousin Mary, and she found out that she was pregnant with Jesus, said the baby in her leapt, jumped. She felt something rise on the inside of her. Would you let the good news of the birth of Jesus reignite something to rise up in you, to give you the strength, to give you the encouragement, to give you the empowerment, to be who God has called you to be. You are enough with Jesus. Let's pray. Maybe you're watching online here in this room and you need God to rise up in you in a very meaningful, significant way right now in your life, in your marriage, in your single life, as a teenager, as a college student, as a grandparent. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Just, I, need, I need God to rise up in me. Amen, 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 amen. God, I pray that you'd receive these raised hands and you would return them with your grace, your love, your truth. That God, we would rise. We would rise as a picture of the kingdom of God in a broken world. That the hurting would be helped. The broken would be blessed. And the lost would be found. I pray your blessing over Wellspring Covenant Church, that it would continue to be salt and light and be a sneak preview of the kingdom of God in this mission field. Let it be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you and thank you for allowing me to be here.